Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, all about movies. And today my guest is Oscar-winning, Emmy-winning, Peabody Award-winning, uh, Writers Guild Award-winning, <laughs> producer, director, writer, and playwright. Do I have it all in there, George? <laughs> well, you, you, you've, you've covered the ground pretty good. <laughs> George Stevens, Jr. Oh, my goodness. If I put them all down, we wouldn't have any time for the interview. <laughs> at all. What an honor to have you on my show today. And uh, I am really looking forward. We're going to be talking about George's uh, new book, his autobiography, My Place in the Sun. And uh, wow, what an amazing life you've had, George. Really, truly amazing. Uh, you've had a front seat to Hollywood royalty and then political royalty. Um, you have just, you know, you've all kinds of royalty. Anyhow, <laughs> you've, you've seen it. You've been there and just truly a charmed life. So it's truly an honor to have you on the show today. Well, it's a great pleasure to be with you, Jan. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Do we, we met at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival briefly, mm-hmm. and normally you were signing your book, and normally book signings are about an hour. I went off and did some other things. I came back, the line was still long, and you were still signing books over two hours, over two hours. Everybody wanted your book, wanted to talk with you, get your pic, their picture taken with you. Um, that was pretty amazing. What was that like for you? You know, I enjoy it. I mean, it, it, it was the morning after we had showed uh, uh, Steven Spielberg and I presented the 4K restoration of my father's film, Giant, with Rock Hudson, Elizabeth Taylor and James Dean. Right. And so many had been there the night before. And it was just so interesting to get their reaction because many of them were younger people who hadn't seen Giant. And I just enjoy these book signings because uh, they're interesting people and nice to, you know, to have a little exchange. Especially there at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival, because you're all really movie buffs and uh, and yes. love movies, definitely. What prompted you to write this finally? Now that I've written it, you know, I, I think you write something like this if, if you've had an interesting life and you're a writer, a storyteller, you say, well, maybe I ought to write this down. But it doesn't always work out, you know, for everyone. But what I realized, having written it, is by the nature of the life I've led with my wife, Elizabeth, I think we knew more interesting and accomplished people than almost anyone, partly because of doing the Kennedy Center Honors 40s, 37 years, honoring 198 of the greatest figures in America and art and show business, and many of those becoming friends, along with my life in politics and journalism, I just knew a lot of interesting people. And the book, you know, I, I wouldn't say that it wrote itself, but these situations that I've been, been in with interesting people made for good storytelling. It certainly does. And it's so your memory about all of it throughout the book. I mean, first of all, it's a very easy read. It's, you know, it's and that's nice. And sometimes I thought, oh, well, I have, you know, it's a long book, George, as you know, <laughs> you've had a long, wonderful life. And I thought, oh, I'll skim this. And the minute I would start to skim something, I would and go to the next 
you know, paragraph, it was like, oh no, something happened in that other paragraph. <laughs> I've got to go back and read it. And it's just, it really is, um, yeah, it's a great read. It's, it's a great book for the summertime for sure. If you're looking for something to take to the beach, this is uh-huh. the book. Um, because you just have had such an amazing life. This, I mean, there's, there's so many people, you know, I mean, Elizabeth Taylor was a really good friend. James Dean, Giant has, it's one of my all time. It's in my top 10 favorite movies. Um, really? Yeah, really? it really is. Oh, I, I love that movie. I love it. Let's talk about, because part of it with your dad was the length of the movie, and you helped him with this movie. You helped produce this, right? I did. I, I worked with him on Giant. I worked with him on several of his films. On uh, Giant, I graduated from college and was supposed to go into the Air Force, but the Korean War ended, and they didn't want me for, for a year, so I had an empty dance card. And my father had just uh, acquired Edna Ferber's novel, Giant, and was beginning work on the screenplay. So I spent eight months with him every morning with two writers, Ivan Moffat and Fred Gill, sitting in his living room working on that screenplay. And I was just turned 21. And it was like a master class right. in story structure. And how do you take a, a long novel and reframe it for the screen? So it started there. And then I went in the Air Force and by the time uh, and visited the, in Charlottesville, where they were filming in Virginia, in Marfa, Texas, and at the studio. So I kept track of the movie. And then when I got out, there was still time to work on the editing and the the promotion and the and the premieres. So I had a wonderful association and such interesting people involved in that picture. Well, and your dad, well, for people who don't know, is George Stevens, Oscar-winning director George Stevens, who directed Giant and, uh, and many other wonderful films. And we'll talk a little bit more about that too. But he was a pioneer in gaining complete control over his films. You know, that was pretty amazing that he he wrote that in his contract. Talk a little bit about that, because I thought that was fascinating, what he had done with this film. But it was kind of a, a trailblazer in that well, in, respect. In the case of Giant, he had, previous to that, the most recent two pictures were A Place in the Sun and Shane, mm-hmm. two landmark movies. And, and the, the asking price for Ferber's book was very high, because he'd had a m- number of successful books translated to the screen. So he agreed, and she did, not to take any salary for working on the picture, but to have a substantial share of the ownership. And he also, as he had in his other pictures, had final cut. In other words, no one was going to tell him how to cast it or how to shoot it or how to cut it. So he really believed, kind of guided his, modeled his career on control of his pictures because he felt that was the way he would give the audience uh, his best. And, and he did. I mean, it did. Well, you come from a long line of showbiz family. I mean, that was awesome. There's so much detail in this book, and there's so many things that one of your, I don't know if it's your grandmother or someone who saved everything, and, and that you were able yeah. to put that in the book. It just made it richer, you know, all the wonderful pictures and the notes. And Yeah. Well, my mother was a, a collector of things, as was my father. But my mother kept my father's mother... And the actress, Georgie Cooper, kept the papers from her family and clippings from the late 1800s and early 1900s and photographs, some of which are in the book. And my great-grandmother was named Georgia Woodthorpe. She was born just after the Civil War in San Francisco. And when she was eight years old, a great Shakespearean, Shakespearean actor met her and asked her father if he could join, if she could join his company. 
And she became an actress and very successful. And she is the youngest Ophelia to the great Edwin Booth's Hamlet, the greatest Shakespearean actor in American history. And at 19, she played Ophelia to Edwin Booth and then gave birth to my grandmother, Georgie Cooper, who married Lander Stevens, my father's father. And they were a husband and wife acting. You know, they Lander Stevens ran theaters in San Francisco and toured uh, on the Orpheum circuit. So and then my mother, her mother uh, was named Alice Howell. And she came from New York, having been in vaudeville as a young woman. And the first five pictures she made were the first five pictures that Charlie Chaplin directed. And she went on to have her own career as a leading star in silent comedies. So there's a lot of that. Yeah, there isn't. I mean, again, it's in your blood. How could you, um, you couldn't have avoided being in this business, I think, with that pedigree, for sure. Talk a little bit about, you know, so you worked with your father, you were doing producing, and you were some writing, but then the transition to Washington, uh-huh. D.C., uh, that's yeah. kind of also because you were there during, well, we'll talk about what you know you yeah. were there for. But Well, I, grew, I was born in the Hollywood Hospital. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and then I worked with my father um, on, on a little bit on A Place in the Sun, Shane, Giant, and the Diary of Anne Frank, mm-hmm. which I was the associate producer and directed all of the location scenes. And I was becoming somewhat like his partner. And we were starting The Greatest Story Ever Told, a very ambitious film about the life of Jesus. And Edward R. Murrow, the great broadcaster, right. had been appointed by President Kennedy to run the United States Information Agency, that the agency that tells America's story abroad. So our country is better understood and our policies are better understood. And he asked me to come and run the motion picture division of USIA. I was 29 years old. I'd been directing Alfred Hitchcock and Peter Gunn, having a kind of a nice young career. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, and I told Murrow I couldn't do it. I met with him and said that I'm like my father's partner. And I really can't leave him when this important picture is about to be made. And I told my father that three days after I talked to Murrow. And he looked at me and he said, I think you may have to do it. And it was a father seeing an opportunity for his son that might give him a, a different kind of a life. And it was a lesson in fatherhood <laughs> and how to be a father. And it gave me uh, this incredible experience of, at that young age, becoming part of John F. Kennedy's New Frontier. And that led to lots of other stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. And you, so you were, in, let's talk a little bit about um, Jackie Kennedy's visit to uh, Asia and how that all came about. Well, when I, I, I had suggested to Murrow, that we make a film, that USIA make a film about Jackie's trip to India and Pakistan. Mm -hmm. And when I got to USIA, that was the first thing we did. And we, uh, they were beautiful. We had to make separate films because India and Pakistan weren't getting along well. And so they had to be separate films. 
then we combined them for the rest of the world into Jacqueline Kennedy's Asian Journey. So we made three films. And, uh, of course, she was such a radiant and intelligent person. And so these films were wonderfully successful in showing America's interest in, in the person of the First Lady in other countries. Um, and so that's how we first uh, became acquainted. And you and continued to have a, a, a relationship until she passed away? I did. I mean, years. she... Um, asked me to, to when they were after President Kennedy's death, the Congress made the soon to be built John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts, his national memorial. And they appointed an advisory committee to plan it. And Lyndon Johnson had eight appointees and Jackie had eight appointees. And I was thrilled when I found out that I was one of hers. So I sat on this board with her and Leonard Bernstein and Arthur Schlesinger Jr. and Justice Abe Fortas and really interesting people. And um, and uh, and she was a just a magnificent person. Oh yeah, yeah. Died too soon, way too soon. Well, if anybody has not ever had the opportunity to go to the Kennedy Center to see anything there, um, please do go, go run. Uh, it's just magnificent to to be at the Kennedy Center. My yeah. family's from well, my my family extended family was from uh, Fairfax, Virginia, so I oh, spent a lot of oh. time down in Fairfax in that area. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very familiar with it. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful, um, facility and just amazing. Um, you were there when President Kennedy was assassinated. Um, can we talk a little bit about that and what that was like for you and your reaction to that? It was, um, you know, kind of the unimaginable had occurred. And, uh, you know, he was such a, great leader and charismatic and the fabulous sense of humor and sense of purpose and idealism. Um, and, you know, it becomes one of those things where you just have to carry on. And uh, it was interesting. I, uh, that afternoon, I started to think about, you know, you've stopped thinking about grief um, and think about what's your job. And I had an idea, and I went the next day to see Edward R. Murrow. And um, uh, I told him uh, that I wanted to make a feature-length film, that we had cameramen in seven countries abroad with color, 35-millimeter color film, and we would film the reaction to his death, film the four days of the funeral, and weave within it the story of the new frontier, the story of his presidency. And I described this to Edward R. Murrow, um, who was a very uh, wise person. And he thought for a moment and he said, uh, first, he said, make a 10 minute film about Lyndon Johnson. Um, And it was such a wake up call to my emotional, idealistic idea um, that our job was to make a film showing that there had been an orderly transmission of power and the United States continued under uh, a new leader. Uh, And and he said, then you can make your Kennedy film. (laughs) So we made both and they were both enormously successful, enormously successful. Um, The first was called The President, 
was narrated by Gregory Peck, and it showed Lyndon Johnson in the Oval Office, and in that wonderful voice of Gregory Peck, he said, <clears throat> uh, the, white, the light in the White House window flickered, but it did not go out. You know? Beautiful. Beautiful. Then we did John F. Kennedy, Years of Lightning, Day of Drums, which was an hour and 30-minute uh, documentary film about Kennedy. Um, and Gregory Peck also narrated that. And, uh, and it was so, so USIA films were not shown in the United States. The idea being that the government is providing money to USIA to tell America's story abroad, and it should not be turned inward, you know, <clears throat> using that, you know, possibly using that money for political purposes. Right. But the Congress felt so strongly about John F. Kennedy years of lightning day of drums that they passed a resolution to allow it to be shown in the United States where it was shown. And it was uh, chosen by the national board of review as one of the 10 best films of 1980, 1964. Yeah. So it was a, a, a very satisfying thing to have uh, been able to work on. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Let's talk a little bit about the start of the American Film Institute and how that happened. And we'll talk about the Kennedy Center Awards also, that you also instituted both of those. So how did, well, so just so our audience knows, how did the American Film Institute come about and how did you get involved with it? It was during this time I was working for Ed Murrow and Kennedy. And I had... There, Film was not very prominent on the scene in those days, um, in in a certain sense, and uh, the legislation. Well, legislation came out to create the National Endowment for the Arts. The first legislation to give money to the arts in the United States was initiated by President Kennedy and carried through by Lyndon Johnson, and. When they, the bill from Congress, when it was first released, I read it, and it listed eight arts, painting, poetry, architecture, et cetera, et cetera, ballet, um, but film was not among them. You know, America's indigenous art form, and I was acquainted with Senator Hubert Humphrey, who was a sponsor of the bill, and I was able to call him, and I pointed that out, and he understood it, so film became part of that. But when they legislation went through and they started the National Endowment and had a, a, a board of artists making decisions, they knew what to do about ballet and opera. They, they couldn't figure out what to do about film. Someone said, you can't give a grant to Warner Brothers. And I had been involved in, in, in bringing new filmmakers to USIA and had been aware of the... Of the um, the loss of so many of the great films that were being abandoned or or disappearing. And so I suggested to the people on the Arts Endowment that we create an American Film Institute to do such things as that. And when Lyndon Johnson signed the bill, he announced that, uh, to our surprise, that we will create an American Film Institute. And... Uh, and then I was asked to uh, head it, and I had a choice of 
coming back to Hollywood after five years in Washington or staying on and starting the AFI. And I chose to do that. And now we're happy that you did. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's done so many amazing things through the years and continues to do that. The, recently, you just had the uh, Lifetime Achievement Award given to beautiful Julie Andrews, and that was uh, delayed for two years because of COVID. And I know that, that you were honored there, or at least you, you know, they acknowledged you at that event. Uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, how that award started because you were instrumental well, in starting that. Well, that was at the beginning of the AFI. Um, and it, we, I, it, this was before DVDs and, 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 and streaming and all of that. Um, and I felt that recognition ought to be given to people who maintain a career, you know, uh, in in the motion picture creation, creating motion pictures. Uh, So we started what was called the AFI Life Achievement Award uh, to someone um, who, in a fundamental way, had advanced the art of film. And the first was John Ford. The second was James Cagney. The third was Orson Welles, Jimmy Stewart, Fred Astaire, Henry Fonda, Frank Capra, William Wyler, and later... um, uh, Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese, among many others. Um, and it also was a relief for me because I was managing the creation of the American Film Institute, which was is an administrative job, a managing job. And I was had, had to put aside the creative side of my work. But in the for 25 years, I had the pleasure of co-writing and producing the AFI Life Achievement Award shows, which was a very satisfying Mm. thing to be doing. Out of everything you've done, and you have done so much, do you have one thing that's your favorite that you enjoy doing the most? Well, I I was of the... No, I love doing (laughs) a lot of different things. If I can direct a, a, a movie or a miniseries... I love doing that. I always like to write whatever I'm involved in. Um, and, you know, I decided to write a play, and that worked out nicely. Uh, but uh, the... Um, and the play was Thurgood. Oh, 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 the play was called Thurgood. <laughs> Thurgood. Which was based on the life of Supreme Court justice and great civil rights lawyer, Thurgood Marshall. Yes. And yes. Lawrence Fishburne played it on Broadway. Um, but I, I've, among the favorite things I've done, and you mentioned the, you know, the Emmys and Oscar and all of that stuff, I think the thing that gave me the greatest satisfaction was in 1984, uh, several years after my father died, I made really one of the first documentaries ever made about a filmmaker, and it was mm-hmm. called George Stevens, A Filmmaker's Journey. And... Uh, I, I wrote and produced and directed that and narrated it. It was a very personal mm, yes. thing. But to be able to tell your father's story on film and have it received as this one was, uh, was, I think, the most rewarding uh, thing I've ever done. Ah, amazing, amazing. What an amazing life, George. Thank you for writing this book. 
Uh, you know, my place in the sun. It, everybody, please go find, go get the book. I'm sure it's on Amazon and everywhere. And I understand you're doing the audio version of the book. Uh, I too. am doing that. Yes, yeah. look forward to that when that comes out. Um, but it's just, you've had an amazing, amazing life and, and you have much more to do. I, I know that you have much more to do. It's a lot, lot more ahead of you. And it's just been my honor to have you on the show today. I really appreciate it. Jan, I've enjoyed talking with you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you have missed any of the Jam Price shows all about movies, you can go to my website, thejampriceshow.com, where all the shows are archived or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, the iHeart Podcast Network, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you name it, we are there. Also, go to our YouTube channel and like it and subscribe where you're there and follow us on Twitter. Uh, Twitter and Instagram at The Jam Price Show. Thank you all for listening. Jam Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jam Price Show, all about movies.